0: There is no reforming the schools. The options are survival or escape. But this realization actually marks the beginning of a new and fulfilling educational journey for both students
1: and parents. Welcome to the School Sucks Project.
0: Our mission is to provide clarity, support, and empowerment
1: to parents who are concerned and frustrated with the content and culture of the public schools. We achieve this mission through the creation of
0: educational and entertaining media and the development of supportive communities.
1: Continuously building a more detailed picture
0: of what genuine self-directed education can look like. We are determined to pursue this mission because we understand the dangers of indoctrination, toxic school culture, and short-sighted education policies. And we deeply value intrinsically motivated learning, autonomy, and choice in education.
1: And please remember
0: the three important facts we first tried to share when we started in 2009. The schools will not improve. Higher education will not improve. The political conversation about these institutions will not improve. Only we can improve. So let's begin. Hello and welcome back to The Essential School Sucks. Today is June 6th. I am Brett Vinat. And this is the 10th and final installment in the first section of shows, the real problems with public school. But what is the only point of suffering through public school in today's world? It's to get into a good college. So I didn't want to wrap up this section of shows without at least one about higher indoctrination. But what pressure on me, the curator and decision maker, to go through our entire library of college coverage. We've done lots of shows about the dysfunction of college, covering all our bases from content to culture to cost. Today's show even moves into corruption. These are just the problems that start with C. We have a series, just a nice three-parter, called Thaddeus Russell versus Academic Conformism, in which he talks a lot about the struggles that he had working in the academic environment as a free-thinking professor apparently this is very alienating but we also in that series talk a lot about the history of how higher ed got to that place we had another series that i absolutely loved I actually brought in several voices from academia for this one and it was called above the snowflakes and there might have been a subtitle the origins of social justice teachings in higher education you know like what's beyond the snowflakes where do the snowflakes come from I understand that this is not uh, especially helpful language, but I used it anyway. But we warned in that series back in 2017, you know, if you've ever lived anywhere where there are literal snowflakes, one thing that you have to worry about sooner or later is accumulation. And here we are in June of 2022, basically living in the land of always winter. So, yeah, I had all these great options to fill one show slot in this Essential School Sucks collection, this one right here. And I'm sad that I couldn't just make this show 10 hours long and include like a potpourri of all of these different uh, shows. There is another series that I did more solutions oriented with a gentleman in Hawaii named Jim Hood. He wrote a book and designed a course called Test Drive Your Future with his wife, Beth. He and I did several shows on that topic as well but that's just scratching the surface of everything that we've done on the topic of college. And that doesn't even get into the economics, the opportunity costs. One of the best conversations I had on that topic was back in 2018 with economist Brian Kaplan. Is college worth it? Brian Kaplan, the economist, says no. So what do we do right here as we're transitioning from talking about the problems of institutional schooling to solutions, alternatives, and escapes well, historically, I like to think that the School Sucks podcast is a lot of fun. And I was listening back to our outcomes-based education show, and I said, boy, I'm kind of worried that we're pretty mired down in problems, and some of the listeners might not be having a lot of fun right now. But I am extremely fortunate to have such a long list of great contributors to School Sucks podcasts through the years, and I know what names to go to when I'm ready to have some fun. And near the top of that list is Scott Hambrick. Scott is a home-educating parent. He's an entrepreneur. He is a strength coach. And he is the creator and reader-in-chief of Online Great Books. He is also the host of the Online Great Books podcast, which I produce. Some of my favorite shows have been with Scott. This is not the last time you will hear Scott's voice in the Essential School Sucks collection. He and I got together back in 2019... When mainstream America, by and large, I think was introduced to a phrase that we had been using at that point for a decade, the college scam. They were talking about a specific college scam. It came out of something called, I think the FBI was doing this. It was called Operation Varsity Blues. We're going to talk about all this in the show today. Investigations into people who were essentially buying their children's way into colleges, Rodney Dangerfield, back to school style. The central figure, one of the central figures in this, there were several high-profile figures, which is why it became a national news story, uh, was Lori Laughlin, who played Aunt Becky on Full House. Her real-life daughter became some kind of Instagram influencer. You're actually going to hear audio of her at the very beginning of the show. Wound up being in jail. If you go to Google and you just put in the two words, Aunt Becky, the very first thing you're going to see after a bunch of lovely pictures is people also ask, How long is Aunt Becky in jail for? What has happened to this world? I worried it was just going to be a flash in the pan and then everybody would move back into, you know, the default of thinking that college is the necessary next step. So we tried to zoom out from the scandal and look at the bigger picture, and I felt like this was one of the more comprehensive and entertaining takes that we did on the subject, and Scott was a huge help. I encourage you to check out his podcast at OnlineGreatBooks.com. Now, I'm promising fun today, but if you are the parent of a teen with college on the horizon, this show might not leave you feeling exceptionally great and optimistic about the future. So how about we make you feel better with a free book? In the show notes for today's episode, you could also just go to discoverpraxis.com slash schoolsuckspodcast. My friends, Isaac Morehouse, who is the founder of Praxis, and Hannah Frankman, who is a Praxis graduate, Put together a book called Forward Tilt, an almanac for personal growth. Uh, Digital version is entirely free to you. You just have to join their mailing list. I recommend it. I've been on their mailing list a long time. And in that time, I have watched them help hundreds of young people succeed without having to endure the insanity that you're going to hear about in the show today. This book is kind of a collection of shared secrets and strategies for how they have been so successful doing that. Please stay tuned until after the outro music, I will tell you a little bit more about how you can lend your support to the development of future Essential School Sucks shows. And I also want to thank some of the people joining this effort, even at the highest level on our Patreon, $25 a month. That also gets you month-by-month access to our university community, but I am just thrilled with all of these signals of support that I am receiving from people out there. So I wanna be thanking people as we go, and of course, all levels of support get you access to, geez, basically a lifetime of additional School Sucks-related content that I strongly believe is worth your time and attention. But for now, let's get started. You are about to listen to The Essential School Sucks, number 10. Originally released March 15th, 2019, as Podcast 603, College Scam! Exclamation point. Mainstream America Learns a New Phrase. Thanks for listening. Here we go.
1: Waiting for an invitation to arrive Going to a party with no one still alive Waiting for an invitation to arrive To a party with no one still alive I was struck by lightning Walking down the street I was hit by something last night in my sleep It's a dead man's party Who could ask for more? Everybody And then the whole college thing, yep, I'm going. I'm living in a dorm with a roommate who's so sweet. Uh, with work, it's gonna be hard. Like my first week of school, I'm leaving to go to Fiji for work. And then I'll be in New York a bunch this year for work and traveling to a different country because I'm creating something with this country and that's for work. So I'm, I don't know how much of school I'm gonna attend, but I'm gonna go in and talk to my deans and everyone and hope that I can try and balance it all. Um, but I do want the experience of like game days, partying, I don't really care about school, as you guys all know. <laughs> so, what what do we know about Olivia Jade? So, Olivia Jade is an influencer. She has almost two million subscribers on her YouTube channel, over a million followers on Instagram, and she's been able to really leverage her life as a college student into a brand. She's done sponsored content with Amazon Prime, who furnished her dorm room. Uh, she has a makeup palette out with beauty retailer Sephora. She's done sponsorships with Tresemme. Uh, she went to New York Fashion Week with them. So she's been really able to show off this kind of aspirational lifestyle that a lot of influencers Pedal and hers is centered on being a student at USC.
0: everybody, this is Brett. Welcome back to School Sucks. Today is Friday, March 15th, and what you're going to be hearing in this presentation is part of a much larger conversation, part of a collaboration that I recently did with our friend Scott Hambrick from Online Great Books. There's a whole other hour, but I'm actually going to direct you to the Online Great Books podcast to hear the rest of it because we talk a lot about school history and school politics, Common Core, public-private partnerships, Charlotte Iserby, all that good stuff. So you can go to OnlineGreatBooks.com, just click the podcast tab. Scott's past guests include Brett McKay from The Art of Manliness, and Jordan Peterson on the importance of reading the great books. For God's sakes, read! I'm sorry, I will stop doing that. I will stop doing that every time I mention Jordan Peterson's name. But we wanted to... ASAP, share our thoughts about apparently the first college scam that most of America has ever heard about. Uh, If you are encountering this for the first time right now, this week, over 50 people have been named and are being indicted on various uh, fraud charges. The ringleader of this whole operation is a man named Rick Singer. And this scam ran on multiple levels. Uh, Singer's operation was arranging for people to take college admissions exams in place of the client's children. And so, this involved bribing uh, entrance exam administrators. We're going to get into all of this in the show if you're unfamiliar with this story. But this is being called the largest higher education scandal in the history of America. I disagree. In this show, I wind up actually taking a couple of strolls down memory lane. I've been thinking a lot lately about my own college experience. Something is happening with the the college that I went to. I'm actually going to be talking about this in an upcoming episode of The Discomfort Zone. But what I will tell you here, many memories, like many uncomfortable memories, were recently triggered by a series that I watched on Netflix called Unsolved, which was about the murders of Christopher Wallace, Notorious B.I.G., and Tupac Shakur. And and the series, like, intersperses these three timelines. One, the life of Tupac and Biggie. The second, an investigation immediately following Biggie's death. And then a reinvestigation done, I think, in 2006, when Biggie's mother was going to sue the LAPD. I'm so glad I watched this. I was absolutely enthralled. It's really, really well done. Now, I'm going to tell you, the show is called Unsolved. So if you... Go into it thinking they're going to tell you who perpetrated either of these murders or both. You're going to be disappointed. But I think we all know who was really behind both of these crimes. Don't we Paffey. The show is infused with a lot of Tupac's music and Biggie's music, and it brought me back to these scenes in the late 1990s. I didn't mention this in episode 600, which was about the music of uh, School Sucks. But Notorious B.I.G. was a huge part of the college soundtrack. I hate to have to admit this to you even now. Like freshman, sophomore year in college, we would go every Wednesday night to the bar at the Ramada Inn in Bennington, Vermont. And they would have like a dance night and we would go and dance. And the door at this bar at the Ramada was notoriously porous when it came to underage people. So the dude at the door was always the same dude. You could basically show this guy a Garbage Pail Kid card. And as long as you did it with confidence, you were in. He would look at it and you'd go, okay, so you're handy randy. Yeah, and that's it. And the next thing you knew, you were drinking Long Island iced teas and dancing to the Notorious B.I.G.'s. I actually did wind up getting arrested for trying to use a fake ID at this bar. After many, many Wednesdays of successful entry, I present my garbage fail kid card, or whatever it was, to the bouncer at the door, and right as I'm doing this, an undercover cop walks up and takes it out of his hand. He looks at the ID, he looks at me, and he says, why don't you go ahead and put those hands behind your back there, Randy? This was one of my least favorite experiences in college while in handcuffs. There were like five others and they all involve the police there's no innuendo there yeah so there are a couple of times where I veer down into memory lane talking about my college experience and trying to relate some of that to this story also my professional experience working as a as a private educational service provider and a college consultant because that's what Rick Singer was doing and he was really capitalizing on the college myth and the sense of desperation that seems great in so many people So like I said, onlinegreatbooks.com. If you want to hear the whole show next week, I'd say check that out next week. Check out their other podcasts. For now, let's get right into my conversation with Scott Hambrick about this current college admissions scandal. Thank you so much for listening and take care. There's lots of good reasons to go to college. There's lots of people that college is the right choice for. What we're trying to make a dent in is this egalitarian idea that everybody needs to go to college that college is the 13th grade that you are not successful until you have a 2 or a 4 year degree that's a problem especially with the opportunities in this economy like obviously digital marketing is one of the best examples but there are others of ways that you can be learning like you you build a foundation going to work it could be anything my father said to me when i was 17 and i was really debating like i didn't want to go to college, right? I had serious reservations about it because I had done so poorly in high school and I was so uninterested in school. The best information that he had in 1994 was that this was the opportunity, right? This is the opportunity to turn things around. And he said to me, you can get what you think is a pretty decent job right now. I detailed cars. I made $6 an hour. He said, You you might get a job making $10 an hour, $12 an hour, and compared to the work you're currently doing, you will feel rich and you might just make a career out of that. And, And he said, You know, I've seen that happen to so many people. I appreciate that he was trying to protect me from what he thought was a bad decision. And in my case, you know, one of the difficult things is I was so unfocused and so wayward. That I actually think the exposure to the college environment, even though I almost got kicked out for both academic and disciplinary reasons my freshman year, eventually I came to see the value of education there. So I always remember that when, when I criticize that I proved my abilities to myself in college. Mm. But that doesn't seem to be the experience for a majority of people. I had one professor who demanded a lot of me expected a lot of me, demanded a lot of me. And when I met those demands, I felt accomplished. I felt a real sense of intellectual accomplishment. Like, oh my gosh, I actually have interesting things to say in the world of ideas. That was startling to me. Mm-hmm. I had never had that experience at any point in my in my schooling life. But the idea that college is the rule, That idea has to go, right? The people who are promoting the egalitarian idea of college for everybody, they love to use words like diversity and inclusion, except when it's like diversity of paths and choices, inclusion of options then then it's it's off the table for some reason. You know everybody is so different and that's has been a big part of what I've argued at lower levels of education which is why I promote you know unschooling home education self-directed learning why why we talk so much on school sucks about intrinsically motivated education um because you could never have a one size fits all for education and I think the same is true with the upper levels of schooling you know of higher education starting with the very choice to go or not right like in, in 1958 like if you could go, if you could go to college and did,
2: man, I don't know if that was an automatic, but it's pretty close.
0: Probably the best opportunity that you had. Yeah. Sure. So that's
2: 1958. At some point that stopped being true. And I don't know if that was 1998 or if it was 1978 or when or t- 2008, but at some point that stopped being true. And now information and trades, I'm going to call it digital, digital marketing, even a trade changed so rapidly. I don't know how you can actually teach people in a static setting over, you know, 12, 16, four years, whatever, uh, and, and prepare them for what is the fast paced world of you know work in the United States at this point. I, I don't know. I went to this crappy school in rural Oklahoma. Um, my IQ is all right, but my education there wasn't very good. And I ended up going to the University of Oklahoma and I didn't know how to play that game. I, hmm. I didn't know how to do that. Like, school's a game. Like, there's a certain way you do it. There's stuff you got to do if you're going to win that game. And it's not just do the homework, you know? It's not just, you know, do well on the test. Like, if you wanted to go to medical school in the early 90s when I was at the University of Oklahoma, there was a game that had to be played. And I would, so as this, quasi-reform redneck from rural Oklahoma going to the school, I would see people there in that pre-med program who knew how to do that. Mm. Maybe their dad or their mom was a doctor. or Maybe they're, both of their parents were professional people and their parents had gone through it. And so my, my, my parents were this baby boomer age. So these are these baby boomer parents. They had done it. Maybe even their grandparents had done it. Like mm. they knew how to do school. Well, I just knew how to not be truant. <laughs> and, right, right. And, and I knew I knew that I was at a disadvantage in that venue. I knew it. I was keenly aware of it. You know, for example, I, I think that people that go to college know that, like, if you're not in a sorority or a fraternity, you don't have the test files they have access to, right, of, like, the past tests. And there's an infrastructure that those people have access to that, if you're an independent like I was, you, you didn't have. Uh, sure. and, and so I didn't have that. And like I said, I was keenly aware of that the whole time I was there. It felt like a rigged game to me. I'm not going to say that the whole thing is rigged and there's only like a select few winners. But there was definitely – there was like a definitely a piece of institutional knowledge that you needed to have to go to a big four-year university and have the best possible outcome. Sure. Like you can't go in there with no shoes, you know, (laughs) and and then like, you know, some hillbilly and just crush the shit out of it. Like you can have a good outcome, but – if someone says dad's an attorney and his mom is a uh, is not is a doctor and their parent grandparents went to school and all of their fucking grandparents went and they all come on father on the alumni day and all that stuff. they've got advantages I didn't have, right? So then the yet, legacy, yes, it, it's worth something. And then yesterday I saw this news break about these uh, Hollywood mediocrities that were paying hundreds of thousands and even millions of dollars to get their kids to go to these frankly, not that great of a school, and be placed on the sports teams. Uh, Felicity Huffman is one of them that's been named, and uh, Lori Laughlin, Aunt Becky from Full House, who I always thought was like piping hot, by the way. Uh, I'm so, yes. I'm so, uh, I'm so upset that, that Aunt Becky did that.
0: I learned that this was actually the plot of an episode of Full House, <laughs> season six called Be True to Your Preschool, where Uncle Jesse – actually forges or fakes certain information. He fills out forms to get the two. They have twins eventually. Mm. Uh, You know, if people didn't follow Full House all the way to the end, they got married and they had two twin boys, I think. Uh, So he's like fudging this preschool application to get the boys in to the school. What's irritating to me is I'm somewhat suspicious this is only a story because famous people are involved. Right right I certainly when when these things happen people post in the Facebook group people uh, email me links and I'm thinking uh, you know is this is this news uh, is this or is this just all of America you know mainstream America saying the phrase college scam for the first time well you you know what I think it is yeah I, this has
2: been going on forever everybody knew that if the school had a wing named after your dad that you got to go like every mm-hmm. that, that's always been an,
0: a trope. I think this is ultimately about Gillen after Kushner. Oh, interesting. Because, yeah, I mean, whenever a story just, like, takes the national news by storm— my new uh, question is, how are they going to tie it to Trump? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, if, if something has all of this momentum and energy and interest and, and anchor enthusiasm, it's like, yeah, but how how are they going to throw this turd at Trump and get it to stick to him? Yeah. I- and, and yeah, so I think there's going to be a few outcomes of this that we find disappointing. I'm pretty neutral on the Jared Kushner thing. I don't really care about yeah, it I one way either. or the other. But you're right. I have started to see that, that most of the... Commentary on this seems to mention at the time Jared Kushner was applying to, I guess it was at it Harvard it's or Harvard. Yale. His father, who also, side note, wound up in jail for other reasons, I made didn't know that. a, uh, yeah, uh, some kind of fraud charge. I, I'm not sure, but he made like a $2.5 million, again, unrelated contribution to the school at the time Jared was uh, applying. Mm-hmm. And there's, Obviously, one thing that is newsworthy about the current scandal is that when somebody is super rich, like what we're seeing right now is a path for the medium rich. Right? The people who can't afford to buy the new <laughs> glass building where all of these unnecessary administrators are going to go, the, the, the college as it just bloats because of its federal funding. You know, these people need a pen to be in all day and yeah. probably do nothing. I'm sorry. That's commentary. That's commentary. But for the people who can't afford to provide the college with those kinds of resources, we see uh, through this current breaking news uh, a new path. That has been created over the last 10, 15, 20 years, however long this has been going on. That's an interesting component to this is that when Jared Kushner's dad – and none of the people criticizing Jared Kushner thanked the dad because everybody at the school got to use that money. Right. This is money going into the the pockets of of individual at at various – Levels or various places in the chain of the admissions process. Yeah, for
2: what I understand, some of this money was just paid to people to help them forge papers, frankly, and then some of it. Oh, was, yeah, sure. And some of it was to uh, certain figures in the athletic programs, and you know, it's 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 all over the place apparently. But in the context of this conversation we're having, it's not so much like you know the particulars of the scandal. It's just like what is this schooling? What is it like? What is this game like? What are we doing? So if you've got Lori Laughlin's kids and Felicity Huffman's kids there, I think it was a USC, both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just, you know, some poor Hispanic kid from, you know, East L.A. or whatever, trying to get into that school. And then this kind of stuff's going on. It's like, what, what is that that you are doing? What are you participating in? Is it actually an education or is it some sort of a validation process, right? Like they get their kids in there, you get out, they've stamped your passport, Right. Mm -hmm. This person is the kind of person that goes there. It's a club membership, maybe, at this point.
0: Yeah, and there's kind of a paradoxical thing happening here, right? So obviously, in the public mind, largely due to propaganda, this egalitarian campaign that's been running at least since you and I were in high school, that everybody has to go to college, Mm. this progressive idea. And a lot of that propaganda, people will learn this in the next episode of School Sucks, Is actually generated by college organizations, right? Uh, The College Board and beyond, and there's, um, I think, NACE, the National Association of Colleges and Employers, is is another um, like conglomerate that produces a bunch of data. uh, Very like (laughs) data that is collected, no problem, but then the way a lot of the data is presented uh, is definitely a problem, and it's very, very misleading. So, in the public mind. The value of the degree has been inflated. Everybody needs one. This is the, the key to opportunity in life. But at the same time, it's devalued in its in ta- attainability, right? Because anybody can get one. And it's also devalued in its practical meaning. Because anybody can have one, Mm. (laughs) it doesn't. It doesn't separate people like it used to. The four year degree, and this is. I don't think this is an elitist argument. I think this is just a recognition of reality. So now you have people who are in the one percent. I'm just using that as a shorthand. Mm -hmm. Who are, but they're not in the point zero one percent. You know, but they're they're people of means, and they're saying themselves, okay. So just getting a BS or a BA is worthless. Now what? How do we get an edge? How do I? How do I get so and so on the crew team at this prestigious right. school for crew? How do I get people into Ivy League schools? You're right. Like the the variety of schools is is pretty mixed. So obviously the guy who is running this scheme, um, Rick Springer, was Rick Singer. Hmm. Sorry, I merged him with uh, Rick Springfield in my mind for a second, who was a singer. Mm. Right. But his, his, his <laughs> name was Rick Singer. His name was Rick Singer. I'm guessing that he's catering to his clients. So the parent says, we want USC or we want, you know, this Ivy. Um, and he comes up with a path uh, and a plan to to get them there. Uh, But yeah, I, I saw the list of schools and a couple of them were were kind of curious choices, right? Like yeah. why would you, I mean, I think the top price I saw being paid was $6 million. Yeah. I saw another one over one, like $1. $1.2 million you know there are people who are saying it needs to be again people of means it needs to be more than just a bachelor's degree from the college that you know Lori Laughlin's daughter could probably get into i i don't know if you saw her quote on her youtube channel somebody pulled a clip of her going yeah so i am going to go to college but I'm really just going for the parties and uh, the social thing i really don't care about school you guys know that so you don't even really need to make an argument that that spot could go to a more qualified candidate. <laughs> she didn't want it. <laughs> no. And I think – I don't know if it was her or um, uh, Hoffman's daughter where there was actually like a Photoshop of one of them rowing crew. Yeah, And I'm thinking to myself, could that be real? Like what is the vetting process at the college like if you can, if you could submit a Photoshopped photo? And there's there's no background check on that. That must so be just like
2: that's singer's expertise. He knows what sports you can get into without a tryout, probably.
0: Right, and I think that exposes that obviously there's a, like administrative uh, expansion and administrative waste. It's not it, that's not the only place where you have that happening in, in like these. First of all, like worthless uh, programs of study, unnecessary administrators. But I think athletics is a problem as well. And if if you know coaches of sports like water polo are having that much sway in the adm- admissions process. That's probably also something that needs to be looked at. But somebody um, somebody posted the Reason article. Uh, Reason wrote an article like, we need to shoot the college admissions process into the sun. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, yeah, so I just pulled this little excerpt from it. Bribing athletic officials to falsely claim the client was a high-value recruit for a certain sport. This often involved sending fake photos of the kids engaged in athletic activities. <laughs> pole vaulting, swimming, accept, pole. that's ambitious, right? That's that's just brazen. Like, yeah, it was a pole vaulter and your face is photoshopped on a pole vaulting person. Um, For sports, they don't actually play. So it was either Laughlin's daughter or Huffman's daughter that was presented as uh, somebody who was like high up, uh, a high up member of this crew association, I think in Los Angeles, and they get into to USC uh, as a result of this. So all you people listening, if you
2: got somebody that's good at Photoshop, I want you to Photoshop Brit's head on Allison Stoke pole, pole vaulting. <laughs> And then we're going to submit that to like every state university in the country and see if we can get uh, a scholarship.
0: I love that. I could at least use it as cover art for this episode.
2: Allison Stoke. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And so the FBI is involved, by the way.
0: Uh, yeah. Operation Varsity Blues, this is called. And I guess it's been going on for a, a decade, which is how they managed to ensnare so many people or have so many people ensnared right when they announced it.
2: I'm pretty sure there's other crime, right? is this the crime that we need to uh,
0: that we need to be uh, pursuing maybe i i i think it's a RICO case right what they usually use against organized crime because you have uh, you have an enterprise um there's various people involved up and in, up and down like various people at various levels of this enterprise involved in this so it is it is conspiracy it is what's the one they always say um interstate yeah it's interstate it's misuse of the US mail service So there's lots of federal crimes involved uh, in this. And I I mean, I just wasn't that surprised by it. I mean, I think it's interesting and I think it is uh, a landmark because lots of people are now maybe, as the recent article suggests, going to question how much public funding should be going to higher education and what does public funding mean, Mm for higher education, and how does it change the culture of higher education? So I think it's probably going to affect it in very similar ways to to how it affected the lower levels of schools. If it, if it is a publicly funded thing, it means it has to be all things to all people. Uh, we certainly see <laughs> many, many cries over the last five or six years coming from these uh, campuses for more safety, mm-hmm. more safe spaces, more inclusion. Less mean guys, you know mm-hmm. th- those kinds of things, I, and that is very much like to go back to the the earlier conversation we were having about what's obscured from history, um, because there's no place for controversy, right. there's no place for discomfort. <laughs> yeah. So when when you're when you're trying to nerf this whole institution, <laughs> uh, so many so many things are going to have to go right. Right. So many things can't be a part of it, and it has to cater to the weakest and the whiniest. In the entire population, nerf to survive college.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This 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 uh this whole scandal isn't going to serve to bolster admission standards. It's not going to buff college. Right. It's not going uh, <laughs> to <laughs> college. Isn't going to get harder to get into because of this. It's probably going to make it actually easier. Uh, and, you know, and so if you've got like, let's say that you are a USC pole vaulter, legit, right. and you graduate in May. The non-photoshopped variety. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. I think your your, your diploma is worth less today than it was uh, Monday. It's certainly more in question. But, right. I would They're say. like, oh yeah, sure. Brett, yeah, you were a curler at the University of Wisconsin, right?
0: Well, even like if you look at the way everybody got the mark of you know the Penn State football program, like mm-hmm. everybody who was involved in that. Uh, well, it certainly spread beyond Paterno and whoever the the really bad guy was. Right. But he, he, like even like uh, Paterno's involvement, Paterno, for those who don't know, this was a scandal a couple of years ago where the Penn State uh, football program, which is you know, a couple hours away from where I am, there were these allegations and I think basically proof of sexual abuse happening inside that program that lots of people knew about it. Lots of people were covering up. Um, it ended Joe Paterno's career. He was one of the most celebrated coaches in the history of college football. I do not know, so I will not comment on how much Joe Paterno actually knew about what was going on and whether or not he participated in the cover-up. But it was definitely a dark mark on so many people who participated in athletics in Penn State, and it even expanded beyond Penn State right, to college athletic culture. So this is certainly going to have the same effect where you're right. If somebody graduated from USC uh, and they were a pole vaulter— or whatever and you can tie it back to like oh were you coached by so- and so who took all these bribes right. from uh, you know Rick singer? Yeah that that is definitely uh, a blemish on your athletic uh, slash college career for sure.
2: Yeah uh, so I've got I've got two daughters here and you know I, I don't know what to do um, you know college is uh, college is a weird game. Uh, You get out of a college, perhaps, and uh, you don't know the difference between an invoice and a statement and a finance charge (laughs) with Mm -hmm. your accounting degree. Maybe. Uh, I mean, uh, some people certainly do get out. A lot of people get out of college with a real life education and do know things and have some skills. Um, But the inflation in diplomas and these sorts of scandals. And then also, just like, do you really want to subject? I wouldn't want to subject myself to that whole thing.
0: Just the thing.
2: Can you imagine being at USC in the sports program right now? Like,
0: I, no, uh, yeah, it's definitely. I mean, but it, that it, that goes so far and wide across the country in so many academic and athletic programs right. at a variety of different schools, at um, it, you know, levels below uh, college. Uh, like th- a lot of people proctoring these tests who are paid off. They they might be high school teachers. They right. might be guidance counselors. Those are the, usually the types of people who are uh, taking those jobs. Now, obviously, this guy Singer had quite a network. So it's possible. Like I, I don't think the barrier to entry to proctoring SAT or ACT tests is super high, but now that whole institution mm. is is going to be questioned. I think that's going to actually be one of the predictable, but I would say negative outcomes of this whole thing. I think there's going to be lots of effort to steer attention away from questioning the school religion, from questioning this religious idea of higher education, and finding. Other things to blame or issues, and we can talk about a few of them, things that are going to be more divisive, where now there's an opportunity for mainstream America to say, yeah, maybe we really should look at how much federal money or how much of our money, if we dare, is being funneled into higher education. What I'm worried will happen is that the very partisan media on both sides will convert that revelation into a series of hot-button issues that will just turn those people, <laughs> you know, given the opportunity to have said revelation, into just fighting with each other about, you know, the predictable, comfortable-to-fight-about type issues. Right. And, if, and of know, course, that's what's going to happen. Of course. A one that I've already heard is for-profit education. See what happens when we allow for-profit mm. education. So Singer had these two enterprises. One was this Edge; it was called. It was a um, I have it right here: Edge College and Career Network, which was basically a fake charity. Hmm. But then he actually, from what from what I read about him, had a legitimate start in educational services like test prep and college consulting. So it sounds like he was doing work that I w- hey, this affects me negatively, Scott, because this is the work that I used to do. Right. I I have a blemish too. I guess. So, he started maybe in the 90s doing this. He had a questionable professional uh, background before that. His test prep and college consulting company was called Key. And, you know, that is for profit education. Like I said, that is what I used to do. We charged, you know, really substantial hourly rates and we got results. And that was how we got more business. We got, and, and the company that I ran in New Hampshire was actually geared primarily towards getting kids into these top tier schools, getting kids that, that what, what are the scores you need in addition with you know the rest of your admissions package to get into these top tier schools. I don't think when I started doing that in 2009, I was aware of how severe this, this problem was of the misguided faith, the incredibly misguided faith that people were putting in um, higher education and the supposed opportunities it would create. I mean I should have known like it it didn't create many for me practically I'm like I said I'm grateful for the experience for the learning experience of going but that time if I was more self-directed could have been better spent so I think you'll you'll there'll be an outcry on CNN and MSNBC and a variety of lesser blogs and YouTube uh, personalities uh, condemning for-profit education mm-hmm. as the gateway to this scandal. I've already heard uh, talk about affirmative action, talk of privilege, right? This is just if you're already in a system that is so set up to favor you, why are you so uh, incompetent that you would need these extra advantages? But I guess that's, you know, the consequence of being privileged. You know, that that's an, that's an argument that people are making as well. Mm. One that I think is really unfortunate, as somebody who used to be a for-profit education service provider, is there'll probably be additional scrutiny towards um, the SAT and the ACT. Mm. Right? Like, let's—I I bet you will start to hear calls. Let's do away with these tests. Yeah. I was listening to—I—I I just just grabbed a whole bunch of articles and YouTube clips and started going through them. And one of the ones I found interesting was Alan Dershowitz. I think he was being interviewed on Fox News. And, you know, he he has taught at Harvard for decades and he's still there. He acknowledged, he said, look, the culture of academia has basically become a non-meritocracy. Yes. Lots of schools have done away with even having uh, grades. Um, now... My attitude about grades at the lower levels of school uh, certainly probably aligns with school, higher education institutions doing away with grades, especially with giving elementary school students report cards like, yeah, that's not something that I'm for. But what kind of feedback mechanisms are students who are purportedly being trained for careers, being trained in skills, being trained to enter the workforce, what kind of feedback mechanisms are they getting in higher education without grades, especially if they're at some super large school where they're in classes of two or three hundred people and you don't get a lot of one on one time with professors or assistant professors or assistants to the assistant professors. People who've gone to very good schools have said that, yes, the admissions is extremely difficult. But once you're in, it's much easier to stay in. First of all, you could pick a nonsense major, like you could pick gender studies or or, or something where professors are predictably more concerned with producing disciples right. than producing academic rigor. Obviously, it's in the school's interest to keep students there because those students are... Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of um, formula funding for college as well. Like, if, you, if the student population is filled, if you have struggling students, like students who aren't doing well, students who are on academic probation, there might even be like formula funding mechanisms that get the schools more money for that. So, just because like a student is struggling doesn't mean they're automatically going to get kicked out of the school. The school has lots of incentives to keep those students there. You know, I was talking a couple months ago about this T.M. Landry scandal mm-hmm. that happened in Louisiana. Louisiana. Right? 49th in the state in education. And people had, had formed a pretty religious idea about this as a kind of exit from the lack of opportunity, these inner city yeah. schools, so, these underperforming schools. Yeah. So,
2: T.M. Landry, yeah. was it in Baton Rouge?
0: I believe so. It's definitely in Louisiana. I know that and I remember Louisiana was at like the very bottom of, of the state list as far as, you know, the educational quality yeah, metrics were concerned. It was like a, a predominantly
2: black, I think it was a charter school, right? And they had right. enormous n- percentages of their of the kids there going to top-tier schools. They had mm-hmm. a, a fantastic acceptance rates there.
0: I, I bring that up because I want to back away from something that I said that these kids will go and fail out in the first semester. I don't I I think I kind of made that as a rule of the the consequence of a of fraud like that mm-hmm. or or schools yes, themselves so. in in their efforts to make their brochures m- look more multicultural and diverse are setting kids up for failure. I think that even if a, kids of any population, any ethnic background, any race th- they could all struggle and they could all be pulled along by the school right. and kept in the school but the, there are still consequences of that, right? That That is a, a very—as somebody who struggled in college, um, even somebody who didn't care about academics at all when I first got there, it was still a very stressful thing, and it still took um, an emotional toll on me, and uh, it kind of was reinforcing. I remember being like—I I wasn't doing well in college until my junior year, mm-hmm. and I remember the discouragement and— Oh, the hopelessness at one point of uh, this is just reinforcing everything that i already knew about myself right based on high school right based on what i learned in high school that i'm kind of dumb and i can be a c student like this 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 is just a costly way of reinforcing that i know i have to make it through this but if i make it through this with a 2.0 gpa and get my ba in communications what is that even going to mean right you know, in the, in the professional world. I mean, there were moments like that where I was thoughtful enough to ask those questions. And then it was like the discovery of history that, you know, I, like I said, I was able to prove myself to myself and turn my whole, I was like on the national dean's list a year later. It was, it was. I'm very thankful to that professor for that turnaround. But a, a, a lot of kids won't have that experience, right? They get in for one reason or another and they struggle and then they just kind of languish there. right? But the larger point that I was trying to make is that Dershowitz points out, and a lot of people who've gone to these school, elite schools point out, Dershowitz included, I think he went to Yale before he taught at Harvard, is that they're turning away from merit. They're turning away from those kinds of harsh judgments from reality, cause and effect, honest feedback. Because, again, that's not nerf, right? right? <laughs> Getting a D is not nerfy.
2: It just isn't. Not nerfy, no.
0: Right? It doesn't feel good. It's um, triggering, whatever. You know, it's it's upsetting. So yeah, the egalitarian idea that everybody needs to go to college, the outcome that that's had in college is like, well, geez, if everyone's going to be here, our standards need to go down. So there's less academic rigor across the board. John Taylor Gatto was pointing that out 20 years ago in the Underground History of American Education, t- talking about these elite schools. Right. Still super hard to get in mm-hmm. because they can be exclusive. Uh, but once you're there, most people can usually find a way to stay. Yeah. So what what are you getting when you get the diploma? Uh, some of these
2: reports show up to like six million dollars were spent in trying to get the, 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 the these kids into whatever select school it was. And you think about that, like what could the parent have done with that $6 million? If they said, you know, I've got six with a bunch of zeros behind it that I'm willing to toss at this kid. Of all the things that they could have done with that, that's what they did. You know, they could have bought them several small businesses and have them right. learn in the school of hard knocks and maybe get one of them to, to, to take on, right? They could have done – you could have hired Alan Dershowitz <laughs> to yeah. teach your kid law. They could, with $6 million, you can do a lot of stuff. And that's what they chose to do with it. So, you know, very, very interesting. There's not necessarily like efficient market theory going on here. It's not like, you know, somebody <laughs> did all the math on like, this is the best use of the $6 million for the benefit of my kid. Uh, but that is clearly some, a parent who's willing to go to great lengths to put their kid in some sort of an advantage. And that's what they chose to do. And that is fascinating to me.
0: It, it, to me, it is at the same level of fascination w- with like learning that there was a piece of toast that had an image of the Virgin Mary on it when it came out of the <laughs> toaster and somebody bought it on eBay for $25,000. Right. Right. Like, it, th- I think those two things to me are at the same levels of absurd. And how could somebody so successful? I'm stopping myself mid-sentence after just watching the Academy Awards like two weeks ago. I was about to say, how could somebody so successful be so disconnected from reality? But it's actually a pretty common problem uh, based on my experience watching that show and observing Hollywood in the media generally. Successful, like people who have a lot of money, so disconnected from reality and so disconnected from the needs of their own child. Lori Loughlin's daughter is a YouTube star and a famous Instagram person. Like college, how is college anything other than a setback? But she admitted as much in her video when right. she said, "I'm going there to for the college experience to party." So, when when you talked about like, yeah, if you had the option to go to college in 1953, go because there was a college experience that was a signal, right? A credential, I would say more appropriately, right? And a network. Because there, were, there was no other ways to get those things, forget 1953, there was no other ways to get those things when I started looking at colleges in 1993, right? There was no other way to build a nationwide or a nation-spanning or even globe-spanning network, and there was no substitute credential. Uh, I, I couldn't have a digital paper trail like, right. I, like I could today right? I couldn't set up a website. I couldn't have a blog. I couldn't uh, have just an easily accessible online portfolio. I was mailing people videotapes in the 90s, you know, (laughs) like in big, uh, bulky envelopes. There were things that until really recently, like the last 10, 15 years, were just not options and college was the best bet for lots of people in lots of situations. And there still are plenty of people, In numerous situations where college is the best bet, but it is decreasing all of the time and mainstream America is just not catching up with that reality. It shouldn't surprise us that disconnected Hollywood people are paying millions of dollars to get their uh, child into like a medium to maybe slightly upper tier school. Can you imagine?
2: Do you think William H. Macy and Flisty Huffman were having like a knockdown drag out? He's like, listen, it's not worth the money. You know, the kid's not a great student or she could have got in anyway. And she's like, I'm going to do it. Or Susie needs the
0: bed. Can you imagine? Do you think, <laughs> can you imagine the arguments? I would just want to hear the conversation, and I, I guess we'll have to be patient and wait for, for the tell-all, right, when they're sitting oh, across right. the, the table from Gail or Oprah, saying, well, you know, uh, uh, here's why I'm the victim. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that revelation or that speech, I, I'm sure it's coming for, from one of these people, like, uh, because they're famous and people will be interested in hearing that story. But, yeah, what what's the process of deliberation like? Crazy. That's, I mean, I, that's what I want to know. It's like, okay, uh, what do we do when she—who do we pay— when she's getting D's or F's, right, right. If the school even still has grades, so let, let's bring this
2: back to something concrete, sure, uh, or actionable or unactionable for regular people. So if you've got a kid, and I've got a couple here that are that are looking at this, you know, m- maybe I don't hire Mr. Singer to get him into State U. <laughs> But, but you know, do you go spend the money for the SAT, ACT prep course? I mean, you're, you're you're still trying to get them into this game where the rules and the rewards aren't clear. And like you said, you know, the the value of the diploma is declining, and not only is it declining, it's declining at an increasingly fast rate. So, if you have a kid that starts school, starts college in the fall here, and let's say it's a great decision today, it's not clear to me that by the time that kid graduates in four and a half years that it will have been a good idea,
0: right? Uh, Like it's changing fast. It changed for me between 1995 and 1999. When you were in school, that was that where you were in school? Right. Like I, in September, 1995, college was in the program that I was in is based on everything that I knew the best path to getting the career that I kind of vaguely wanted, Mm -hmm. right? Something in like, you know journalism, mass media, communications, broadcast, uh, radio. Uh, like I had some kind of vague need that one of those things was going to satisfy. Right, somewhere there'd be a camera or a microphone that I could sit behind and talk. But by 1998, 1999, it was basically the stupidest thing that I could have been doing. Right, and and I, and the problem was I maybe actually I shouldn't call it stupid because I didn't even know.
2: Right. Yeah, that's that's the problem. You probably made the best decision that you could with the information you had,
0: which was basically none. Right.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And you had more information as somebody that was looking at going into college in the fall than somebody who's looking into going into college in the fall of 2019. Mm -hmm. You were shooting at a moving target. They are shooting at a much more quickly and smaller (laughs) moving target. That's even smaller. I I don't know what the game is and I don't know what we're getting. I, I really don't. It's it's fascinating.
0: You have
2: uh, two girls who are close. They got a 14 and a 16.
0: Close to the the going age, right? It's at least, it's like definitely something that's on the table now.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the older one, uh, she doesn't really have any interest in going to college because she's heard me with my my tinfoil hat for all these years. But even setting that aside, what does work look like? What do you do to, you know, make some path towards, you know, being self-sustaining, I don't think it's ever been harder. Right.
0: It, it, it's interesting that you say that because there's never been more opportunity, and I think as a result of that, it's never been a more difficult decision. Hmm. You know, it's it's very easy to wind up with decision paralysis. And then you join, and then you join the Yang Gang. Give <laughs> <laughs> me my bag. I feel like when <coughs> I was a junior or senior in high school, I could have listed all of the options for me. On my fingers, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I probably, could, I, I think I could have listed every major at the college I went to on on my fingers of my two hands. Right today, just the number of skills that you could insert into the number of industries—it's just multiplied so much. And you think about how everything is niche down. Like none of that. I mean, niches always existed, but. Nothing like what we have today, right? Right. Like, I want to do digital photography in wedding cakes. You know, like that's two things you can put together and make a career.
2: Number one, a homeschooling and anti-public education podcast in the world. Sure, it's so interesting, you know.
0: And, And and yeah, I mean, just back to like, I saw maybe like six or seven roads that I could have taken this bachelor's degree in communication down. To some kind of career. Like the other thing too is the degree had no specialization. So when I showed it to people, even in the year two thousand, they were like, "Yeah, whatever. What do you know how to do?" Right. I was like, I don't, "Nothing. Nothing good. I mean, I know a little bit about several things, but and also, I mean, that's compounded by the fact that I wasn't a good student through most of that program. Like, I I, I loaded up on the the core uh, classes for the major freshman and sophomore year." got like C's in most of them, walked away without learning much. And, you know, I I had friends who had the same degree. And, you know, one of my friends went into um, sports journalism and does pretty well. Another friend went into marketing. He does pretty well. Um, So it's not, you know, like I wasn't cursed. I wasn't a victim. I'm not saying that. But here's the dirty secret that nobody talks about. Most people aren't good students. Right. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was just a particularly bad intersection of not treating myself well physically, mentally, not having any foresight, not having good study habits, being uh, in a bad school, in a bad program at the wrong time, in a changing industry. <laughs> like it was, it was kind of a perfect storm. Uh, but there were lots of. Uh, I could have um, been a better defender of uh, myself and my needs and my future. So I don't ever want to talk about college in a way that makes people feel like college is uh, an antagonist and they are a victim. So when I catch myself doing that, I just, I want to, uh, to back away from that and say, here, here are the the responsibilities that I didn't fulfill. And this is where I dropped the ball in this situation. I think that's very important to do.
2: I want to talk about the bad grade thing though. And like everybody thinks that their kid is going to go. And if they can knuckle down, buckle down, they're going to excel and that it's a great opportunity and all that. And, you know, and, and they think about that in terms of everything, but the truth is the average person is average. <laughs> right? Most people aren't going to be very good students. And right. maybe they're very very bright. I mean you are, and but the circumstances whatever they may be means that most people aren't terribly good students. And so so what happens? You know, that system isn't built for the average person. And that's what that's the thing that I was keenly aware of when I went in the early 90s was that it really wasn't. It was built for the ones that were going to excel, but if you weren't one of those you know, you were there. You were there covering the overheads and the, keeping the lights on for the people that were going to. There was a there was a chick in the school of microbiology that I was in. Her name was Kim, and Kim's parents both were physicians, and we were both in the pre-med program. And I think I think our grades were the same, pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. She was she was bright, not any brighter than me, I don't think. Uh, but our grades were very very similar. But it was all I could do to afford to go there and do what I was doing. And then the summer before her junior year, she started taking the MCAT prep courses, medical candidacy aptitude test stuff. I couldn't do that. Mm. What do you do if you don't make the best grade, and you you aren't in the best degree program? Like, what what happens? I don't know. There's just so many questions, and it's just not the automatic that it was, you know, pre. Nineteen ninety, or in nineteen
0: fifty-eight. Well, and as we see with, uh, you know, Operation uh, Varsity Blues here too, like, what if you're not in a top-tier school, or like, I'm sure those schools that wouldn't typically be considered top-tier schools that were on the list of the schools that were involved in or victims of this scandal or this scheme, uh, because I'm I'm guessing it doesn't go all the way to the top in most of these schools. I'm guessing most people in the schools had no idea this was going on. And it's just like the holes in the system that other people exploited. But there must have been a reason why parents or Rick Singer had selected these schools, even if they were not Ivy League schools. But that's also another really important question in addition to grades is like, where are you? You know, my my advice at the end is like you want to go to college. All right, well, you it better be uh, a top tier school with a great endowment where things can change really quickly and resources can be added or subtracted as necessary, well ahead of of the ch- the trends in that industry that you're trying to go into, or even if it's not a top tier school, if it's like a medium tier school they better be known (laughs) for the program that you are going into at that school. And if you can't satisfy those requirements and be in the top of your class grades-wise while you're there and be building, you know, related professional experience and building a helpful professional network lateral to the pursuit of that degree, do something else, right? Like do not go to the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts and get a degree in criminal justice, right? A B student That's at a mediocre school
2: is yeah. oblivion.
0: Absolutely, and 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 those are that is the new high school diploma, right? So that that kind of takes us back to uh, one of the things that I think is at the root of this problem. People are getting those crappy criminal justice degrees from crap college because the value of the degree is so thoughtlessly inflated. But now those degrees that were probably um, just always like hovering right above worthless are now worthless, are unquestionably worthless to employers. They have no practical value. But the thing that we're trying to sound the alarm on, on this show, and various other places, there's people with bigger platforms saying the exact same thing, is that the religion needs to change, right? I think the utility of this show for the people in your audience and the people in my audience can be... If you converse with people about this while it is a scandal, and I I think this might just be the beginning, I think this might expand. I think if, if more famous people are named, this could be in the news for a while do not let it be shifted if you like if you see this on Facebook if you see this on Twitter if you're having these conversations in real life you know focus on the root problems in higher education and the public attitudes about this issue don't let I mean the media is going to take it to identity politics it's going to be privilege affirmative action that is just an endless fight for you to, to sink into right uh, for-profit education down with capitalism that's don't take that bait uh, and I would even say, if people, and this is like uh, probably a, a less of an incendiary one, but if people talk about doing away with standardized tests, I don't know. I have a soft spot for the maybe. Uh, I certainly didn't do well on them the first time I took them, but um, I did tutor the SAT, and I ran a company. And the idea that I was presenting doing doing SAT tutoring, and the, the idea that I was presenting to people is like, there are critical thinking skills that school left underdeveloped, and I think a Short-term rigorous preparation for this test can help a young person be more college-ready if they take that opportunity. They can expand their vocabulary uh, by thousands of words in ways that make sense. They can become more persuasive writers, more efficient persuasive writers. Uh, they can expand their critical thinking skills through the treadmill of, of like higher-level multi-step math problems. Those are all good things. Yeah. I watched a lot of students who were, you know, by the public schools metrics performing very well in AP classes, terribly frustrated to the point of of yelling at me in a couple of cases in a couple of these classes when presented with real critical thinking challenges. And that was just I mean that was 2008, 2009, 2010 I was having those experiences and that just further alerted me to uh, the failure of public school. Uh, public school is very successful at a lot of things, you know, indoctrination, obedience, conformity, does all that well. Producing an apathetic public, it's easy to write new things on, very accomplished. But um, getting people excited about education and making people rigorous thinkers, it fails. Right. And I saw that firsthand, you know, with AP, top-tier school-bound kids. So I think that the SAT is valuable, but because when the SAT is mentioned, the, the sort of widespread perception is, oh, SAT, terrible, 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 right? There's like a negative association with it. It can become a, a lightning rod for the whole meritocracy discussion. As meritocracy moves away or realistic feedback mechanisms in higher education the the SAT could go on the chopping block and could open the door to you know the removal of a lot more meritocracy from higher education you know, a lot more realistic feedback done away with for the sake of not hurting people's feelings right. and i think when you're training people to survive and thrive in the real world honest feedback even if it's um cold and prickly is a good thing to have
2: and i always wanted to, when i was in in high school i always wanted to be able to uh, just take the ACT or the SAT and just move on. You know, if you could take those tests and you're 12 and a school and a college would take you, you know, I just like, that should be good enough, you know, but at the time in Oklahoma, you couldn't do that. Uh, So I'm all for the, uh, the, the meritocracy and, and actually that kind of standardized test seems to be seems to be uh, the market has spoken and, and seems to agree that the SAT is a, a valid ruler to use to you know evaluate people's readiness for school or for college.
0: So, yeah, there's that. And there's the the opportunity. And I saw a lot of kids and that was really great thing. And that was kind of why I shifted the focus or the presentation of our business when I was talking to parents. We want to present to kids an opportunity here. There's an opportunity in this test, and we think we have a kind of training that takes advantage of it. Uh, there's so many people. I mean, like, for profit education is such a big business <laughs> that uh, we had a lot of competition, especially where I live, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, very wealthy area. A lot of people have money, um, and, and a lot of people had this um, religion of higher education then, you know, 10 years ago, maybe as much as they do today, maybe more. Maybe more than they do today. College has become so embattled in the last five years. Maybe there were less questions 10 years ago before the social justice war and Tucker Carlson shredding academics on his show every night. There was probably more faith then. So there was a lot of money to be thrown at this, and there was a lot of competition in what I did. And that was the most effective way to set my company apart was to to talk about that opportunity. And I still believe that to this day.
2: I think that the uh, post-2008 economic realities have, uh, you know, disabused people of uh, their their high school or their college diploma worship. You know, I think that's done a lot to get rid of that. And then, like you said, the social justice stuff and all that. College is on the decline in terms yeah. of the esteem it's held in. But to go back to the history of American education <laughs> from an hour ago, um, yeah something that i've seen since um since i've i've noticed this since i had kids it was probably going on before then but there is sort of a private education public education hybrid that goes on that people never want to talk about so it's very very common for people to send their kid to the local public school and then they ring the bell and then school's over and they take him straight to kumon or sylvan or the tutor and then they get more and then they take him yeah. to the prep then they take them to the prep guy, the Princeton Review or Kaplan or or Vinod or whatever. I think that's new. I think that's new-ish. I think that's a newer thing that has occurred. Um, I think probably since the 70s where there's a where there's a blurring there and people aren't part of just one or the other. Uh, you know, the private or the public uh, in education. So the the market. Seems to Seems to recognize that the kids aren't getting what they need there in K-12, through for example, and taking them to Sylvan or Kumon or whatever to get more and to get more accountability and hopefully better results.
0: Yeah, and it's a shame because I think there's a lot of people who work on that private service provider and who uh, – I mean, sure, there's plenty of people who just do it as a job to make extra money. A lot of those people are teachers, but – um, in my experience, I met a lot of really competent people. A lot of young people, like a lot of a lot of college students, mm-hmm. do that kind of work. It, admittedly, it's hard to find good ones. I definitely interviewed, uh, lots of them, and in, in these two different companies that I worked in. But young people are energetic. They're enthusiastic about the subjects they're tutoring in, and it's kind of like, well, did you really need that seven hours of what you did before you went to the private right. tutoring service, like? Uh, I, I worked with you know high schoolers, middle schoolers when I still did academic tutoring kids would have problems with teachers they'd they'd have some kind of arrangement with the school where they'd be privately tutored in a subject. We could do you know a year you know when you when you subtract those other 25 kids and mm-hmm. and the school schedule you can do a year of instruction in eight weeks yeah. less yeah. even yeah. you know depending on the subject depending on the kid's interest but depending on the kid's aptitude. Maybe a month. Yeah.
2: For a very, very long time, we took our oldest daughter to a college student who was a tutor, who t- was her, mm-hmm. her tutor. And they did that on Wednesdays for about an hour and a half. And in that hour and a half, they could do what a normal kid would be doing in maybe a week or more in their regular right. class. And you know, pretty low cost and completely individual and one-on-one help with that. And uh, they got along great and got good good results. So what in the hell could they have done with that $6 million instead of trying to get them on the crew team <laughs>
0: Exactly. You know, if I were to add, I always talked about these three hidden lessons of school. If I were to add a fourth that is certainly never stated out loud, but implicit and constant through the entire experience, and I would say this even extends into higher education, is that young people learn their time is not valuable, Mm. right? Because nobody ever encourages them to value it. Nobody ever acts like it's valuable. I mean, so much of school is just waste, yeah. right? It is just routine. It is just programming. It is just bloat and fat and unnecessary. And if you endure that for 15,000 hours, plus four additional years of of schooling, where like, I mean, my goodness, if I went to college to get the information that that was in my bachelor's degree, right? Like the hard skills that were in my bachelor's degree, I could have done 1995 to the year 2000 when I graduated, I could have done that in a summer. Right, I could have done it in a summer. And uh, so it was just an extension of a lesson that I was happy to accept based on my previous training, that this time when I am most energetic, when I am in this prime of emerging into adulthood, that it's perfectly fine to spend a, you know, a Friday night... Uh, throwing beer bottles at a payphone or whatever you know just like so many so many wasted nights so many days sleeping till noon it was so much time wasted or spent destructively and I could have been in and out of there you know June to to August if the program had been structured more efficiently
2: all that beer bottle throwing at uh, payphones that's what people normally call the college experience
0: the college experience right that's a lot of what you're paying for yeah
1: No info for the DEA, federal agents mad cause I'm flagrant, Tap myself and the phone in the basement. My team's supreme, stay clean, triple beam, miracle dream, i be that, catch a seat at all events, bent, gats in holsters, girls on shoulders, play what? Me and Mike, to me, lose too much, I lose too much Step on stage, the girls boo too much I guess it's cause you run with lame dudes too much We lose my touch, never that If I did, ain't no problem, And get the gap. Where the true players at? All your roadies in the sky, waiting side to side, and keep your hands high, while like I give your girl an eye. Play it please, lyrically, nigga C, B-I-G-B, Flossing, Jig on the cover of Fortune, 5-double-O, it's my phone number, your man, you got to know, I got the dough, Got the flow down black platinum plus, like danger dangerous, on Trizak, do your ass pizza.
0: friends thank you for sticking through all the way to the end this is the part where i tell you the easiest the most efficient most benefits rich way to support our efforts at the school Sucks project especially with this essential school sucks collection and our future endeavors is to become a patron at patreon.com slash school sucks We have three tiers of membership. The first is $6 a month. It's called Friend of School Sucks. You support our mission and want to help us continue to reach new people with our message and media. Your contribution helps us maintain presence and to further build the legacy of the School Sucks project. If you subscribe at this tier, you get access to all new episodes of our subscriber-only personal development slash comedy show called The Discomfort Zone, any future MP3 releases of our University Discussion Groups, which are always lively conversations on a variety of educational, philosophical, cultural, and current events topics. And eventually, I'm working on this, you will get access to the full School Sucks archive now. I think you can have it back until 2017. Uh, If you join, you will also, at this level, get access to an RSS feed of all the Patreon content. The next level 12 dollars per month friend of brett you like me you're excited for my new projects you love my past work you'd like to actually talk to me once in a while uh at this tier you can access everything in uh the six dollar a month friend of school sucks tier plus a full bonus content archive of categorized playlists everything there is downloadable and you will get an invitation to our friday university group discussion an open forum where you can come and ask me anything And finally, the highest tier of membership is called the University Community Member. It is $25 a month. This is for people who want a community. Uh, So here you can become a member of our exclusive University private social media retirement community, I call it, even though everybody is still on social media, including me, we'll get there. Uh, But you join on a month-to-month basis, so you'll have access to our entire private Discord with a club for just about every interest or pursuit. You'll be able to participate in all of our discussion groups we currently meet three times a week for an hour each time i am probably going to experiment soon with moving it to two times a week for an hour and a half each time and we also do a monthly film and book club and we have meetings for that so you get access to everything in the lower tiers plus the university membership plus access to me so you can submit a special requests for bonus content university meeting topics, or university guest speakers. We have those from time to time. So those are the options for support in the show notes. You will also see a bunch of other options for one-time donations or crypto, and your support is really appreciated, especially right now. I want to take a moment just to thank the people who have lent their support since the beginning of the uh, run of the Essential School Sucks shows, so that takes us back to... May. So in that group, I want to first say thank you to Lance F for joining at the highest level of membership. Uh, I look forward to seeing you, Lance, in the university hopefully soon. And we also, the rest of the ones I'm going to do today, are people who have since upped their contribution. We had a little problem with Patreon. Patreon is not a problem-free uh, platform, as you might have heard, maybe going back years at this point, I've just found for user experience, it is the most reliable. So I tried to improve that user experience even further by setting up tiers of membership and just asking people to contribute on a monthly basis. This is a long story. I'm telling you as, as fast as I can. The prior way of doing things was people would contribute per content item. So when you switch to monthly contributions, Patreon converts everybody to Monthly so if you had pledged one dollar per content item and maybe you were giving Eight nine dollars a month patreon says okay now you're one dollar a month so our support was cut by like 80% and this is uh, The life's blood of support for school sucks at this point So that was kind of disastrous when this happened back uh, in April So I want to thank Alex Bell. I will name Alex by his full first and last name Number one, because that's something that he really enjoys. And number two, he's been a huge part of the show. So he upped his contribution. Uh, Mark M upped his contribution. Nathan S upped his contribution. And I will name more people in coming shows. Uh, But that is extremely helpful right now. So either come in for the first time and check it out and see all the additional access that you get. But a huge thanks to everybody who's already there and has been responsive uh, to my request to make this adjustment. It has been super helpful. All right, we're done with the problems of school. It's not like we won't be revisiting them along the way. Trust me, we will. But when you hear my voice again, we will be talking about solutions and alternatives. I am doing interviews again, by the way. Uh, I was on a wonderful show called Blue Collar Mystics with my friend Owen Hunt and my friend Daryl Becker. I'm gonna post that in this feed as well, or at least part of that. The whole conversation was very long. Then we will move on to section two in The Essential School Sucks. Leaving school and finding educational alternatives. I cannot wait. I will see you soon.
1: It's a dead man's party. Who could ask for more everybody.